Hey everyone, how's it going? Welcome to Know Your Gear QA number 162. I just read that off the own title of the video. Uh, sometimes I'm like, I don't know what number this is. I hope you guys are having a great week. I'm pretty excited about today. Uh, a lot of stuff to talk about, and I think we're going to have a lot of good questions. I already see you guys putting some good stuff up there to talk about. A um, couple things. If this is the first time watching the live podcast, you can stream it as a podcast on iTunes or, uh, you know, whatever podcast platforms out there um, that you prefer the links down below also if you want to see just go right to any questions you're curious about there's an index in the live show uh, uh, description so you can go right to that and if you're here live for the first time and uh, all you have to know is put a question mark first if you want to ask me a question or tell me something a subject you want to talk about it just helps me kind of identify that uh, we have a lot of you that like to come every week and kind of talk to each other and I kind of like watching the communication between you guys but unfortunately you know it, it kind of crowds up the thing. So question marks first definitely helps. So anything else? Uh, I think that's it. I think we covered it. It's, it's like a broken record of those announcements. Um, so I hope everybody's doing good. I'm kind of, I have some of you guys stuff uh, penned back. Uh, BK says, think TGIF. I think it's, thank goodness it's Friday. It could be time to get a, if a freaking pick, I don't know. I don't know. Can't, I'm not that witty on the fly. All right. Uh, <laughs> okay. A couple things. Uh, I like to also peruse the questions before a lot of you guys get here early, which is really cool. And I appreciate you uh, doing that. And uh, so I see Rob put a question. He's like the first question I see on the on the thing. And it says, uh, it says, what good products are there for remo removing light scratches and swirls from the guitar body? There's two products I like. One is from Stumac. It's the uh, swirl remover. Uh, I think I've said this a million times. I'll say it a million times more because it's just good information. I bought that bottle five, six years ago. It still works. It's a huge bottle. That's how little of it I use each year, and I use it a lot. Um, but uh, it's great stuff, and it lasts forever. I've used it on guitar Sharp Max. I did Tyler Larson's guitar. I think I've done a, a couple of the guitars on Sharp Max where I've used that exact product. It's good. I recommend it. However, you can also use any of the Meguiar's products that don't have pumice in it uh, and anything with pure, pure carnuba, carnuba. Uh, well, but sometimes you want the pumice to kind of get the scratches out. But don't, for the Meguiar stuff, I use it mostly for polishing the guitars, not for swirl remover. So I like the Stumac swirl remover for that. Some of you guys have other some great suggestions. But like I said, that's a product that I bought years and years ago. I'm still using it to this day. And I keep checking it. In fact, I'll do it again. I promise. Every time I tell you guys, I remind you guys that that's the product I use. I go check it to make sure it's still good so that next time I can go, oh yeah, it finally went bad. But I think it just doesn't go bad. So it's still working great and it's lasting forever. Michael wants to know Supro and and Pigtronics. Oh no, what's that? No, I already know what you're talking about. He says, good, uh, brought good, bad time to buy stuff before quality goes to heck. Okay, so a couple things. If you've heard uh, that Supro, which is also Pigtronics, so Supro and Pigtronics are the same company. Pigtronics bought Supro. I believe they bought it from, uh, why can't I think of that? Why can't I think who who it was? Uh, I'm, I'm having a, a uh, Zinke, Bruce Zinke. Bruce Zinke, I believe Zinke owned Supro for a short time and sold it to Pigtronics. Uh, that's my understanding. So Supro and Pigtronics are the same company and they just got bought by, uh, was it D'Angelico? Is that who bought them? I, I, I could have been, I thought it was D'Angelico. I hope I'm 
Right, because I, I briefly just read this, the synopsis of what happened this week. Uh, it could have been D'Acusto, but I'm pretty sure it was D'Angelico because they're uh, the company that owns uh, the guitars and, that they're, and they're a New York-based company. Uh, so please, you know, if anyone says knows different, please let me know. But anyways, so this is what I understand. And this is probably the important thing to tell you. My understanding now, in other words, everything could change post this information that I'm going to give you, is uh, what I read and what I understand is that uh, the uh, the same people that run Supro and Pictronics now will continue to run so it's it's the same. So nothing's supposed to change. I l- let me let me tell you. Sometimes that stuff happens, and of course they they move that stuff to China and they do all this weird stuff and they cannibalize the company. But that's not what I think is happening in this case. What's happening in this case is I think what you have, yeah, see, D'Angelico. Thank you. So, uh, D'Angelico. So, uh, thank you, John. So, uh, what I think is happening in this case, which is very common in our industry, is that a brand acquires a couple of the brands, and it, it's called a line card for, for, for the best way to put it. What happens is that makes it easier to distribute product and basically cut costs. So let me give you an example. Let's say you have a D'Angelico rep and that rep goes and visits music stores across the country. Well, there's a cost associated in that, putting him in a hotel, uh, his gas, his time, the hourly wage, you know, everything that's associated with that, his per diem. Now, if that same rep can go into a store and go, okay, how many D'Angelicos you need? And they go, well, I don't need any right now. And they go, hey, do you need any Pictronics pedals? Do you need some Super Amps? More stuff on the line card to sell to them. And that's cuts the cost because it's one cost now spread over three product lines. The other advantage is now to the dealer and to them is uh, terms. They call it terms. So for instance, if a company, if a dealer orders, let's say $5,000, we're talking about mid-sized dealers, mid-small size dealers, they buy $5,000 worth of D'Angelico product. The D'Angelico would probably give them 30 days to pay that invoice up to 90 days to pay that invoice, right? So what happens now is now that dealer can spread that credit line across multiple brands, which really helps. And that gives that company an advantage because here's why. It it gives uh, the dealer says, hey, well, let's do $3,000 of D'Angelico and let's do uh, $2,000 of Supra, right? See how easy that is? It helps them spread that that credit line or that terms line across across multiple brands and kind of pushes other brands out of the store. That's why sometimes you go in a store and the, the dealer is kind of now pushing a new line of products. It's because it's just a little easier for them. So I think that's what's going on with that. That is really common in the industry. So I didn't see anything negative. I basically versed myself in it just enough to see that that's what the case was. So if you guys were on I was curious too, like, was it a, uh, a shelving issue? Like that's something I've talked about many times on my channel, companies that buy companies just to shelve them and shut them down and, or, and, or, uh, cannibalize the, the, uh, the branding and, you know, slap the branding on new, less exciting or cheaper grade products. And that's not what I see in this case at all. And I think the main thing of that is because the CEO, uh, I think he's now the CTO of the company. I think it's what I read uh, and saw. But anyways, uh, he's still in charge. And that's all you care about. I think that's all I care about is that whoever was dealing with Supro and Pictronics last week is still dealing with the same people. So those people still have the same passion. They're still working the company the same way. Just now they probably have a bigger arm of distribution and maybe more credit lines and what have you. So more opportunities. So very cool. Very cool. All right. So that's on that. That's a good question. All right, I saw I saw a super I saw I thought I saw a super chat on here. Hold on a second, like a drink water. 
Or maybe it's Brandy in here. I don't know. Anyways, uh, it says, Matt Wells says, Hey, Phil. So I've had many tellies. Okay. Uh, they never stick around long, but I still have the telly itch. I don't, okay. I don't think you like tellies. <laughs> he says, do I accept that I am not a telly guy, even though I think I want one or keeps searching for one? Um, Matt, that's a great question. I think there's a lot of players that, that have that issue. Not just tellies, everything, right? Um, for me, I, tellies aren't my issue. I'll tell you my telly issue and maybe in telling you my issue, it'll help your issue. Gretches. Man, do I love Gretsch guitars. I love them. I've owned six or seven. <laughs> Expensive ones, mid-price ones. I just love Gretches, man. Every time I see a Gretsch, I don't know how to explain it. It's 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 like a classic. It's this beautiful thing. I strum the guitar. It sounds amazing, and yet none of them stick. They never stay. I currently own zero Gretches right now. Um, and my Gretches usually go for the same reason. It's somebody goes, man, I really love that guitar, Phil. It's the best guitar ever. And I'm like, oh, and they're like, man, if you ever sell, I'm like, ah, sold. What do you want? What do you give me for it? Because it's just... I don't know. Might as well sell it. I'm not using it. Um, the last nice Gretsch I had that I got rid of, I literally got rid of because uh, it sat in a case for, I don't know, a year and a half, and I felt kind of guilty. So um, I understand what you're saying. And it's, so you know, it's, yeah, you're not a telly guy. Don't stop buying tellies. <laughs> or identify what it is about the telly that you like. So uh, here's what's funny. Uh, for me, what I identified about the Gretsch is I love the way it looks and I love the way it sounds, but I don't like the way it feels. So it became a, how do I find something that gives me that vibe and, and sound, but doesn't feel that way? Because I feel like when I hold an, a, a, a Gretsch bot guitar is like holding an acoustic to me. And I love playing acoustic, but uh, it, to, not electrically, right? So I like, you know, I like the guitar to be more like a Strat or something comfortable. So I, that's what I would do. Find a find find what it is that you don't like about the Tele and remove that factor. So if you love the way a Tele sounds, get a non-Tele guitar with Tele style pickups. That'll do it. If you love the way the Tele looks, get a, a Tele like uh, like something behind me where it has an arm carve. You know what I mean? It's Tele looking, but that's about it. <laughs> Right. Um, the guitar behind me, think of this, the Somnium is one of probably four Tele-esque guitars I own that I claim they're Tele's, but they're not. That is a Tele. The camera's backwards, guys. Uh, the Tele behind me, the Somnium, it's not a Tele because it has the arm carve. It has a hardtail bridge that's not a Tele bridge. Obviously, it has different pickups because it can be whatever pickups, but you get the idea. It's not a Tele. Telecaster is a Telecaster is basically that Tele bridge, those Tele pickups. You know what I mean? That plank of wood. So I think, yes. So the answer to your question is accept it. Stop, stop doing that. All you're doing is losing money every time you're doing that. You're buying a guitar and reselling it at a loss. So I would, uh, I would stay away. So there you go. That would be, that would be my, my recommendation. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes this QA is less of a gear QA and more of a, uh, group therapy session for guitar addicts. So it's not, and it's probably not a good thing at all because, uh, uh, yeah, we're, I'm not helping anybody. I'm not talking you out of it. It's like, if you came here as a, an addict to something, I'm not going to talk you out of it. I'm going to actually probably make it worse. It's like going to your drug dealer for drug, for therapy. is not going to be a good idea. All right. By the way, Hosa's in the house. Hey, Hosa, what's up? I never thought of Hosa this way, but I guess if I, you're Canadian, it's like, Hey, it's Hosa. 
<laughs> Toza's in the house. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's look for, like I said, question marks first. Let's me know to look for either a comment or a question. Um, uh, Alex, uh, Alex guitar. I'm going to say Alex guitar because it's like clue, clue, clue guitar, like cloud, Alex cloud, cloud guitar, um, says, do you know to which radius to set a guitar with a compound radius fretboard? That's a preference thing. I've heard a ton of different ways to do it. Uh, what I do, and I've been comfortable with this in my personal guitar. Sometimes I have to bend to the will of the customer, but for me personally, let's say a guitar is uh, 10 to 14. That's a very common for Fender. Uh, or let's say a Jackson is like going to be 12 to 16. Um, I radius to the least flat radius and that's how I do it. So uh, so if it's 12 to 16, I radius the bridge to a 12. Uh, if it's a 10 to 14, I would radius the bridge to a 10. Um, and then then you slight tweaks, you get to tweak it. I don't find it makes much of a difference. I've had some some friends, especially some some other repair guys and luthiers, uh, and we've had these conversations. And some of them are on my fence, and some of them are on the other fence, of course. That they're like, there's, you know, they do it differently. That's the way I found that I like it. Also, it's the way I found that unless you tell me you have a preference, when I hand the guitar back to to most players, they're fine with it. They don't notice anything different. That's the way I like to do it. Okay, so what else do we got? I don't know. <laughs> it's dead air. It's the worst. It's the worst. Let me scan real quick, guys. I actually, I want to keep going. There were some great questions at the beginning, too. Um, uh, Lloyd Stockman says, hey, Phil, do you have any pickup recommendations to thicken up an Alder Super Strat tone? Yes. Uh, it says, currently, I'm running a JB and a 59, and it does have a Floyd, if that matters. Uh, it doesn't really matter. Feels thin. So that that is actually what's more interesting to me. So I'm thinking JB 59 and a Floyd Rose in a Strat body, whether it's Alder or not, usually is not what I would consider a thinner sounding guitar. Now, that guitar sounds to me, let's say thinner, because you use the word, and I'll stick with it. It sounds thinner to me than, let's say, a set neck, hardtail type guitar, or a, uh, you know, a Les Paul or something like that, but definitely thicker and fuller sounding than I would think a traditional Strat with humbuckers with, because that heavier mass Floyd Rose bridge really does make a difference. Um, I, I've had this thing over the years where a lot of the guitars that I have that are Floyd Rose guitars, I pick them because of the way they sound more so than actually the, you know, the feature of just trying not to whammy bar the guitar. Um, I just like the way the heavier bridge just sounds than you know than a normal bridge um so my question is if it feels thin uh, that's uh, that's something i don't know if i would recommend well first thing i'd recommend is the 59 is a great pickup sometimes that pickup can be really fat and round sounding but sometimes in strats it does seem to go a different way pickups are very dependent on what's going on around them in other words uh the type of strings that you're using the type of guitar you know hey the tone wood whatever all these things factor into some to some form to the pickup. I think the pickup is the dominant sound for sure. So a 59 sounds like a 59 in every guitar, but it has a it loses some of its assets and gets some problems depending on what you're doing with the guitar. So in this case, if you were to ask me what I think, if you were going to put a JB in a 59 on the guitar, I would tell you that I thought the 59 would sound a little thin uh, on the neck position. So uh, I would go with something a little thicker. Um, if you're a if you're a Seymour Duncan fan, maybe go for the Pearly Gates. I would do that one. I've had good luck with that one in the neck over the 59. The Jazz is a little bit beefier, just a little bit. So I'd say go into the Jazz or the Pearly Gates would be a good upgrade. Or 
side grade change of tone for the 59 in the fender or fender in the dimargio world dimargio i would definitely look at maybe uh i don't know if you does a tone i've stuck the tone zone in the neck i like the tone zone um and uh but maybe use their paf or uh should i tell you i'll tell you my all-time favorite pickup right now is the fortitude uh by dimargio i've been doing a lot of testing of pickups uh and you'll be seeing all those videos soon it i did it a different way than i've ever filmed videos before i did it in this like long form and now i'm chopping them up into separate videos because it was just a interesting way to do it that way and it, more interesting to me and i kept my excitement going it felt like less of a uh you know, editing time, you know, kind of stuff. It still took a lot of editing, but anyways, a fortitude is a fantastic pickup. Definitely recommend that in the neck. Uh, I have a project coming up, uh, uh, a couple videos. I, as you saw, I just did a sharp my axe. I have a bunch of them coming out and, um, that's in there. So something like that, the JB, oh man, I don't know. The JB usually has a little bit of mid range punch. So that's a different one too. I don't know. Maybe in that one, I would do either the pearly gates, dual pearly gates, or uh, maybe a Seth Lover. It, that's a little a fatter kind of PAF sound. That's kind of nice. But you'll lose the push on the amp. You'll, you know, the JB's a hotter pickup. Uh, Todd Flowers is also, because earlier we are talking about compounds. He's, he's uh, saying the Meguiar's ultimate compound. I've used that. I like that as well. I like I said, I like Meguiar stuff. So, it, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's uh, totally fine. That's the stuff I like. Uh, what else? What else do we got? Oh, I see a super chat. Uh, we got from Grumpy Mike. Hey, Grumpy Mike. He says, happy Friday. What is your all-time favorite P90? My all-time favorite P90? Uh, I don't have an all-time favorite P90. I wish I did. I wish I could be like, oh, it's the Lindy Fralin or, uh, you know, it's some exotic P90. Uh, I have currently in my, uh, in my, you know, whatever. <laughs> collection of guitars i have three types ironically three different types of p90s in guitars so i have a framus that has the seymour duncan p90s they sound fantastic i have no urge to take those out of the guitar um in my uh in my other p90 guitar i have the dimargio p90s which is what i used in a video when i did the somnium i love them they sounded great and then uh in the somnium right now behind me what i've been using is the um Golden Age from Stu Mac. Uh, Stu Mac sent a bunch of pickups when they saw I was doing the video and said, hey, the, the pickup series and said, hey, if you want any pickups, uh, you know, they sent me just a, a sampler platter of some of their pickups so I can use them in videos and I've been using them. But other than that, I've never really kind of like, you know, tried all the exotic flavors of P90. Isn't that funny? I And, and what's funny about P90s, there must be something about that tone that I like because I haven't found a bad P90 yet. I've never plugged into a guitar with a P90 and went, oh, this is horrible. Now, I take it back. I mean, there might be some fake P90 guitars out there, some guitars that are that have P90s, but underneath the hood, so to speak, when you take the cover off, they're not made like a P90. That happens. Sometimes they're just like cheap replicas. Maybe I've had that problem in the past, but other than that, I like them. I, I think it's because it's such a, just a primal thing. A P90 is essentially a big hunk magnet wrapped with a crap ton of wire and it's unapologetic and it's just throttled out. Like I said, if you guys saw my video about P90s, I, I think it was one of the first videos that I seen. There wasn't a whole lot of videos that I've seen in the past that talk about the fact that P90s are usually hotter than humbuckers. 
So as people think, people think like a P90 is like, oh, it's a more vintagey, you know, softer pickup than a humbucker. But no, man, most P90s are really kicking amp into the stratosphere. It's why dudes like sticking a, a, a P90 through a Marshall. It pushes that amp. It's just because it's, uh, it's a single coil. It's got 60 cycle hum. And, uh, and technically, just like any single coil, once you make it noiseless, it's not technically the same thing anymore. It loses a little bit of its characteristic. Um, just a little bit. Just a little bit. I always wonder what happens if, you know, that'd be something fun to do. Wouldn't it be fun if we made uh, a dual, there's gotta be one in existence already because there's already like quarter pounders and stuff by by uh, Seymour Duncan that essentially single coils that are made more like P90s, right? With a big ceramic magnet and big slugs and then wrapped with a ton of wire. I wonder if somebody's ever made a dual coil humbucker P90. <laughs> just some ridiculous thing. It probably just feeds back and sounds horrible. So, uh, let's see what else do you guys got going? Yeah, BV Ninja says he's talking about uh, David at uh, at Supro is still in charge. Yes, he's still at. That's what I'm saying. He's still in charge. Everything, as far as I know, nothing's really changing. They're not changing uh, even their locations in New York and stuff. So it was. It's kind of a all excitement, no no negative kind of story. So it's uh, it's good. It's actually a good sign. Uh, I'm kind of funny because we're going back to it at the beginning of the show, but it's a good sign when companies like that do what they're doing. Uh, when I say it's a good sign, it means that there's uh, expected growth. You know what I mean? Companies are, are expecting growth in the in the market. Really, the whole idea of having a ton of brands under one umbrella or one house really helps mom and pops more than probably anyone else. So. Uh, that's why I say it's good news because realistically, uh, if you're a mom and pop dealer out there, and there's a lot of stores that watch the live show every week, I talk to them all the time, and they understand what I'm. They'll really relate to this more than some of you guys. But uh, it, it's really a lot. It's a lot. You gotta understand. Some companies just come at you and say, "Okay, it's a ten thousand dollar buy-in if you want the best pricing." That's a real hard thing to write a check for. Uh, if you know, it's one category, one skew. You know what I mean? Even if it's guitars, you know what I mean? Just acoustic guitars. Ten thousand dollars in acoustic guitars for a, a mid-sized shop is a ton of product to have to to house and, and and they're and they're not making huge margin on that. So it takes a while to flip it. And then when you flip it, the margin wasn't huge. And if you and if it sits too long, sometimes you have to cut into that margin. So what happens is it's a lot nicer if you can go, okay, for ten thousand dollars, give me twenty five hundred dollars in acoustics, two thousand dollars in pedals. Like I said, it's it's a lot easier. And what happens when companies do this uh, kind of a multi thing, mostly multi housed uh, brand in an umbrella? It's different than, let's say, what I call a jobber or a wholesaler, which is there's an upcharge. So, for instance, there's companies that exist that work with the small mom and pop retailers that will allow them to buy, you know, 50 different brands or 100 different brands with one credit line. However, it's because they're the middleman, there's an upcharge. And a lot of times those dealers are paying a little bit, a little bit less than what you and me are paying at Musician's Friend. It's disgusting. And I, I hate talking about this particular part because a lot of retailers are probably that watch cringing right now because I hate being reminded of it. I used to be pissed about it all the time because <laughs> I'd look it up and, the, and you know, look it up and go, I guess I'll order some of these. And I'm like, oh, they want $8.99 for these. Well, let's see what they go for online. And I go online and they go, oh, they go for $9.49. And I go, great. So I make 50 cents. So 
what this is is when two when brands come together like D'Angelico and Supro is different than having a middleman wholesaler that's upcharging everything. It's just broadening the amount of products that can go. So I think this is a good sign. It, it, it lets it let me know, which is why I took interest to the story this week. It let me know that there's some companies out there that apparently expect the mom and pops to keep going and may, uh, keep uh, even though there's COVID, you know, the world is you know just crazy right now so that's good optimism is good so that's to me that was an optimistic move that wasn't a sign of distress especially since my impressions of both companies have been they've been doing very well financially so uh station unrest station remember from uh is that bill and ted right too station station unrest says where did you get those shelves where we get all shelves ikea <laughs> <laughs> this is a garage rack thing. Apparently, it's very popular. I bought this one. Uh, I saw Ola England has one, but Ola, and then I saw another YouTube channel has one too. And it's the same thing because we all must be getting an IKEA. Um, but theirs had black shelves. See, mine are wood. I didn't even see that as an option. So uh, I got this. Now, what I did is this. I lit it all up and I stuck it in the closet. <laughs> this is my closet. Let's see if I can tilt the camera a little bit. See. See, there's a look that go up a little bit and there's a closet. See, so I literally I had a the, the room I have my the room I do the video in this room is a very small room. And uh, it's uh, we think me, me and my wife think that in this house, this was a baby room because it's like for a baby, not like a baby small room. It's for a baby. And it's why the room is so small with us, a huge closet. That's a three door closet that runs almost the length of the room. And it was very distinct distress distressing because I had this huge closet to store stuff in and I had this tiny room and then one day I said what if I take the doors out and just turn the closet into a display shelf and I was going to Home Depot as you do to buy wood supplies so I can get out my you know drill and stuff and build a shelving unit and paint it and then I did that thing that I think a lot of us do go, I wonder if Ikea sells something like this. So I drove to Ikea and sure as hell they had that. And of course at a stupid price, cause it's all metal. It's just an erector set of metal with a bunch of uh, MDF. No, not MDF, it's a, they're plywood. They're just, they're three ply, they're cheap, three, four ply uh, boards. But anyways, the thing was uh, um, expensive because I think it was like 300 bucks, but inexpensive because if I would have bought the supplies at Home Depot, uh, it would have been about half that, about 150 bucks. So uh, 150 bucks to get an, an after a whole afternoon back of my life. I'll call that a win. I don't have an afternoon to give. So there you go. That's where I got them. And you can buy them in sections like this or smaller and they're adjustable. And so far they work really great. The important part about this is I can tell you, because I run the amps kind of loud, they don't rattle and there's no been no issues because the way they interlock. That's probably important to anybody who's looking at buying some of these things. So it's really good. Plus, this is how I keep myself sane now because this is my amps, everybody. This is it. Now in my other room, I have a couple amps because I keep you know gear in my other room too. Uh, just a small amount, nothing like what's in here. But this is it. So uh, if, if I get a new amp, uh, uh, well, there's a trick to this. If I say, if I get a new amp, you'll see an amp go. Although I should tell you guys right now, some, uh, none of, actually, no, I think I'm good. Just down below where you can't see. Uh, there's a couple amps here where there's an amp, like that EVH, there's an amp behind that amp. So these are deep shelves. So I'm running the amps like, you know, a couple of the amps too deep, but that's all my amps. So my, my new rule is if they don't fit in this rack, then I can't have them. And if I get a new amp, something's got to go because it's just, you know, 
Although I want to make uh, content that entertains you guys and and uh, te you know teaches you know reviews gear and helps you guys understand stuff, uh, you know after a while you just it just gets obnoxious, so, and then you don't have fun anymore. All right, uh, the little tangent on the shelves. <laughs> okay, uh, what else do we got going on? What else do you guys want to talk about? That's the question. Let me go and make sure I'm not missing. Oh. Let me refresh something. Hold on a second, guys. The new way that YouTube has done this with the new system gets a little wacky. There is a couple super chats I missed. Okay, so I want to hit them. Uh, Matt Wells. Nope, we did Matt Wells, right? Okay, we did Zach. We did not do Zach. All right, Zach. Let's see. Zach says, would you add contours to a guitar with poly finish? Yeah, why not? What would be the issue? So no issues at all. Uh polyurethane is going to uh, you're talking i think you're talking about like contours and then you're going to pay spray polyurethane on it so let me ask you the two the, let me answer the two ways i think this question presents itself if you're making a body and you're going to spray it with polyurethane of course it end contours because the polyurethane is just going to bond to anything it's going to be it's going to be fine uh if you're talking about when you're buying a guitar you know it has contours maybe the poly's sticky or something you don't like it uh, i've had no issues with that so either way you're good to go reggie hey reggie what's up uh i think reggie said he earlier he got a new guitar he did. He says, Phil, I need a 12-step program. I just bought a 2020 Luke Music Man. I'm an addict. Man, there are worse things to be addicted to. There should be no shame in loving uh, music and music gear uh, that I know of. Um, uh, you know what I mean? That's uh, Think of this. I have... I Sometimes... I'll tell you what I regret. <laughs> no, I don't really regret it. But maybe if I'm going to regret... Before I'd regret like a $200 pedal, I'd regret a $200 bar tab. Anyone had one of those nights? <laughs> when you're like, what did I do? <laughs> so there's worse things to regret, man. So no, don't regret it. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. And, you know, especially now. Today, now, now is the time that I think a lot of us really need to to find those moments of joy because the world's a little messy right now. And uh, and all that stuff is very important and we need to pay attention and take care of it. And But that's not that's what's great about having a channel like this and a moment like this, like our weekly show. This is where we, we get to enjoy this. So uh, Reggie, enjoy your guitar. Bless you, man. I hope you enjoy it. It's a great guitar. We would all love to own it. So, uh, so we're, a lot of us are sitting here with a little bit of... Uh, of uh, 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 envy, uh, I got a new guitar this week. I I, I think it's for Father's Day. <laughs> I'm just gonna say that because it lined up. My wife's like Father's Day is the weekend. I'm like, oh, well, I got a guitar. Uh, so I got a guitar. It was uh, not an impulse buy, but kinda, and I'll review it. <laughs> so, and uh, my patrons, I think, know what it is because I, I when I was editing the video, I, there's a video that's coming next. The next video you guys are gonna see. The patrons saw it already. Um, it's in the background of the video, and it. It, I didn't, it, and no one said anything. So if you're a patron and you saw that video, now you're wondering what goes behind me because it's something that's different, something that uh, I was super shy, excited about and ties into the, my Gretsch story. So we'll keep that, keep you in suspense. But what's great is everybody on the live show today, everybody watching this, by next live show, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. So it's not like I'm keeping you in the dark for too long. I've already filmed it and everything. So it's it's good to go. Uh, what else? We got uh, Steve Long Music says, hey, Phil, trying to get a Kenny Wade Shepherd tone out of my Made in Mexico Strat swapped from the Perloid... 
Bro, preloaded Seymour Duncan classic loaded pre-wire. Not digging it. Suggestions. Also thoughts on Planet Tone pickups. I've never tried Planet Tone pickups. Uh, the Kenny Wayne Shepherd Tone. Well, he has a Strat, or he did with Fender. What was he loading into that? That would I would imagine. I hope that. Uh, let's look. Look. Uh, I would imagine, because I used to want a Kenny Wayne Shepherd Strat really bad, because I think uh, the Kenny Wayne Shepherd Strat, it's made in Mexico, but it's a 12-inch radius fretboard. I got to put Strat. I can't, unfortunately, share the screen with you guys, because I'm on OBS right now today. I I didn't go StreamYard. I went OBS. I like OBS. I think the recording, and I think you guys, the latency, everything's better, but... I can't share screens. Uh, so his guitar, let's see, is there a way to look at the specifications? I'm looking it up, guys. Okay. Um, yeah, see, I wanted the white one with the cross. Isn't that funny? Like, I I don't know what it is. It was like, there's something about that cool cross on there uh, and the way it looks. And Okay, so um, it's inspired by a 61 Stratocaster. Ah, so already uh, I'm thinking Kenny Wayne Shepherd's thinking like me, or I think like Kenny Wayne Shepherd's probably. Yeah, it's a 12 inch radius fretboard. Not that that matters to the tone, but it's and it's got jumbo frets. I just remember wanting one. I remember we got a couple in the shop and we sold them. And every time I'm like, I'm gonna get one. I never got one. I never pulled the trigger. Um, but uh, specifications. Let's see what he's got in there for pickups. Cause I'm thinking. Bridge pickup, custom voice, Kenny Wayne Shepard single coil. Well, thanks, Kenny Wayne Shepard. Thank you for for helping us with that beautiful information of a pickup is your name. So neck pickup is a custom voice, Kenny Wayne Shepard single coil. You gotta be kidding me. Don't you absolutely hate that? Not Kenny Wayne Shepard, he's great. I've seen him live twice and he's amazing. But don't you hate it when companies do that? What does that mean? Kenny Wayne Shepard pickup. <laughs> I guess it means the same thing as an Eddie Van Halen Wolfgang pickup. It means like, but no, we, even then we can figure out what it's based off of. So here's what I'm going to tell you. Uh, uh, hold on. Let me get back. Steve, this is what I'm going to tell you. I'm going to guess because it's a 61 Strat. I think the 61 Strats, I think you're still thinking, I still think you're going, getting the 50s sound. So I would go with a, uh, and, and, and you might want to do a little bit more additional research. This is obviously just a quick you know, live show reference point. But I'm thinking uh, he's not using anything special, like no stack pickups, no something like that. I would go with uh, uh, some some fat 50s or some kind of bright sounding uh, Fender pickup because that's what I'm thinking. When I think the 60s Strat pickups, you're usually talking about late 60s Strat pickups. So when somebody says a 60s Strat pickup, don't get confused. Generally speaking, when I like, because I love 60s Strat pickups, 60s era, 60s era for me would be 65 era, yeah, you know, and then after that, for sure, like like 68, 69, that's kind of like what we're kind of thinking, the Jimi Hendrix, the fatter kind of sounding Strat pickup. Uh, but Kenny Wayne Shepard, if his, if his main motivation guitar was a 61 Strat, I'm thinking it's got like a 50 Strat tone to it. Uh, and... Um, you know, and it's hard because he has a great tone, but I mean, he's an, he's another player where he runs a little gain. You can't tell what of that is coming from the guitar. Obviously, it's all coming from his hands, but uh, you know how much of that's coming from that distortion and stuff. So, so I would look at something like that, um, or I could tell you, um, uh, I could tell you it's still. <laughs> uh, my favorite pickup still are the Octave Doctors. The video is done. I just have to release it. There was some really what's holding up the Octave Doctor video is funny is I really, really, really like them. 
And the video I'm talking about is is the fact that they're like my go-to pickups. And I just, whatever I release, I want to stick to. I want to say that I want to be able to tell you guys for sure this is how I feel. Not that I you know, don't like the pickups or like the pickups. It's, you'll see. You'll see when you see the video. It'll make sense, I hope. So still like them. They're the angel set, if you're interested. He's a small builder. I, I had to, the reason I haven't still, another reason I haven't put out the video is because I'm giving time for the patrons uh, to, to buy the pickups because he can't make that many. And once you make a video like that, you know what I mean? He could sell a couple dozen pickups and put himself, you know, backed up for a week or so. Um, all right. Uh, what else do we got? What else do you guys want to talk about? We still got some time, right? Yeah, we're still doing, we're doing good. Actually, while I read, I'm going to drink water. Uh, Bill says, you saved me a super chat. I was going to ask about the Octave Doctors. I absolutely love the Angel set of Octave Doctors. I can honestly say it's one of the few things uh, that I can say that obviously, you know, you got to demo and you got to hear them. It's, here's the thing. If you think strats sound too thin for you, too bright, Octave Doctor Angels, man. That's the, that's the fix. Um, that's, that's it. They just sound really full and rich and powerful. And, uh, they're, they're, they're not, there's no noiseless, no weird stuff going on. Just great. So that's, that's that. Um, okay. Okay, so yeah, so Paul's uh, backing up what I guess what I'm saying. He's saying the 50 Strat pickup was replaced in 63. Leo then again in 65. That's the way I remember Hendrix's favorite pickup was a Tor Cordawasa 64. <laughs> I guess that's a word. Is that a word? Tor Cor Tor. I don't know. Whatever. 64. Uh, what else? Hold on. Best plan says, Phil, what is your go-to? I might as well answer a question about myself. What is your go-to amp and pedal combo if you could only choose one of each? Um, well, it would definitely be the Princeton, as you can see. Well, think of this. You mean, you see all these amps. What, what amp's plugged in right now? It's my Princeton that's plugged in. And it's plugged into my board right now. And what's on the board, actually lit up, which means I was just using it earlier today, is my Purple Plexi um, by Love Pedals. Uh, and that's my, but that pedal, so you know, is a great pedal, but it's the pedal of the moment for me. In other words, I'm in love with it. And I, I've been in love with that pedal for many years, but I, you know, you go through phases right now. I'm in that phase. The other pedal I'm using, not that you ask, you know, cause you said one pedal, one amp kind of thing is I'm using the, um, Prince of Tone, which has been out of commission for me. In other words, I haven't been using it forever. And then I don't know, a week or two ago, I pulled it out and start playing it. I mean, man, I forgot how much great, how great this pedal is. Okay. Um, let's do Jeff. Jeff says, did you forget my super chat a month ago? I don't know. Uh, Taylor 200 acoustic in need of strap locks. Oh yeah. That's where, where we looked. I looked to see what strap locks units and I did, I saved it. And the one I looked at, 
I didn't read the rest of it. Hold on, let me read the rest of it. It says, he's got an acoustic guitar that needs strap locks. This is something he asked me a while ago. Uh, Nothing works so far from DiMaggio to beer bottle washers. Just looking to update. Yes. So um, the problem I'm having, buddy, Jeff, is I, and I literally have it on my phone. I'm not kidding because I found the answer. And the answer is, let me hold on. I'm pulling it up. Now, what I want to do is... Man, this is the best live show ever where I just sit there and this, this is what I found. Okay. I don't know if it's going to work. Yeah. My phone's too bright. Let me dim it. Um, I just want to show you, this is horrible because I can't screen share today. This is the device that I found that you should be checking out. Uh, Sweetwater carries it. Just, I'm sure American Music Supply carries it as well. I, I, I work with both those companies, as you know, uh, with products lately, and they've been both good to me. Both carry this product. It's by Music Nomad. Um, so to answer your question, this is the Music Nomad Acousta Lock Strap Lock, Strap Lock Adapter Standard Output Jacks. Uh, and long story short, it is $19.99. And, oh, it's in stock. Okay, so when I looked, it was not in stock, and I was going to order it and maybe do a review or at least, you know, talk about it. Uh, so, Jeff, that's what I will uh, suggest. That's what I'm suggesting. But... What I can tell you, Jeff, if you're in immediate need of it, that's my suggestion. Go check it out based on what I found, not on any kind of experience of it. But what I will tell you, if you're not in a huge hurry, uh, I'll click the the order now and I'll order it. And, and you know, when I get off the air, and uh, I'll get it in a week, and we can I can I can at least test it. Now, whether I do a video, I'd like to do a video of a couple of them and check them out. That'd be a good video. If it's not worthy of a video, at least on the live show, I'll mention it to you that it you know what I found about it because I'm gonna stick it on my tailor. So there you go. There you go, Jeff. Uh, Miguel Valdez Valdez says, is the upgrade from Gibson Les Paul Classic to standard worth the extra money? What are your thoughts? No, it's not. It's not. I own both, and I don't know why. I don't know how Gibson has brainwashed us all in such a beautiful marketing manner. I don't even know what I why I care about a classic over a studio um i think i think this is something that i i i can say for sure i know for a fact i have a half a dozen uh buddies or acquaintances that have said the same thing one of the best les pauls i ever owned which i don't own anymore and of course well, i'll tell you why because it's gear math uh if you guys remember that when we talked about that once it's the studio every time i think about a great les paul i've played or owned it was a studio and then what I did is I go, man, the studio, but that's not a real Les Paul because it doesn't have binding. And <laughs> right? And then you get the classic, you know, this is not a real Les Paul because it didn't have chrome covers and all the other stuff. And then you go to the standard and it's just dumb. You know what I mean? So the, the is the upgrade from a Les Paul classic standard worth it? Extra money? Well, here's the thing. That's an internal question you have to ask yourself, buddy. Um, so you have to decide what it's worth to you. Don't worry about what it's what what it's worth to somebody else. Um, so in I can I'll give you my opinion of my personal situation and what I'm doing is this. I have a Les Paul standard, of course. I have uh, the, the gold top and. Um, and I have the classic, uh, and I like the classic better. Uh, not because it's a classic, not for any reason, just of the two guitars, I like the classic. Now, my classic's the light, which is cool, but I'm, but my had, remember, I had a gold top classic 
uh, before it had the standard. I like that better than the standard I have too. And I have the burst standard as well too. So um, I, I, I freely have no problem telling you this. This is, this is again, I don't think there's anything wrong with this as long as you can own it and, and admit it to yourself. A lot of the guitars that I have in my collection, like a lot of players, it's your ego, man. I, I, I want to own the thing that makes me feel good. And sometimes what makes you feel good is not making people jealous but making player, you know, make it your collector is having something that people want to collect too. It's kind of fun, right? You know, like, Hey, I got the, I, I don't know, the purple squid beanie baby. And you're like, Oh, how did you get that? You know, like, Oh, you'll never believe it. I found it. And it was on a shelf and they didn't know what they had. Like everybody loves a little bit of that. That's part of this game, you know, part of the fun, right? Like we love music. We love guitars. Then there's guitar collecting. It's all different. Look at, and it's not, and it has nothing to do with hobbyists versus the professional players. Joe Bonamassa is a collector. There's all kinds of collectors out there. Eric Johnson's a collector. A lot of guitar players are collectors on the side too. They just collect stuff and they check stuff out. So my point is a little bit of that sucks you in. It does. It sucks you in to go, oh, I got to have this, uh, you know, uh, you know, standard because it's like the standard. And then what happens is at one point I I went from the standard, uh, standard to the custom, let's call custom. And I didn't really love the custom I had. It was good, but I didn't love it. And so, so my, my answer to you, Miguel, is if it's going to haunt you night that you don't have the standard for some reason, then, you know, you might want to just say screw it and pay the money. But if you're but if you're asking me if I would feel like I missed out, no. Uh, if I only kept one Les Paul right now, because I have three at, at the current moment. I have the two standards and then I have the classic. If I was only to keep one, I'd keep the classic light. And I know deep down, it's the one that if people come over, they're like, what the hell is that? And I'm like, it's a thin Les Paul. And they're like, that's not a real Les Paul. I don't care. It's the one I like. It's the one I like. It takes you a while uh, to get to the point where you feel comfortable telling people, you know. <laughs> the uh, the funny part, I'll tell you a funny thing. Because, again, I always kind of tell you guys all this stuff just because, again, I guess this is a weekly guitar therapy session. You know, the only reason I used to own Gibsons for a long time, I love my Les Paul and SG now, okay? I love them. I definitely am, am a, um, a, a, Gibbs, a Gibson guitar fan. Uh, you know what I mean? I love the way they sound. I love the way they play. Uh, but I'll tell you, the, the real reason, my real motivation, my first Les Paul, the only reason I had it was I was just sick of hearing Gibson guys tell me how they didn't like my PRS. I got a PRS. It was like, it was like a big deal. My first PRS... And that's what happens to all of us. It doesn't matter what your first is. Sometimes your first is your first Schecter, your first nice guitar, your first next nice guitar. It has a feeling to it. You're like, you've achieved something. You work hard. A lot of it's just, you know, we, we have jobs. You work your ass off all week and then the, there's money left over and you get to buy this thing that you love and whatever that thing is, if it's a boss pedal, if it's a, a freaking ice cream cone, if it's a Les Paul, it, it still has the same feeling. That's the great thing about that. It's a feeling that just basically pays a dividend no matter how much it is. So... The point of this is I got this Les Paul Custom 24 and I felt like, man, I, I, I want to say the, my mom used to say this term, I have arrived. It's like she used to say that when people had fancy cars. That's their I have arrived car. You know, everybody takes takes notice of it. Um, but uh, I'm not into cars and stuff like that. So I don't have any of those. Like I don't like wearing jewelry at all. So I don't wear a watch. I have it's literally guitars is the only thing I like to spend money on. So uh so anyways, my point is I'd have this custom 24 and it was so exciting, but so many of my friends were anti-PRS. <laughs> they were into Gibsons and they just wouldn't shut up. So over time, I finally got a Gibson and then that way was, that was my comeback to them. I'd be like, oh, I love my custom 24. And they're like, and they go, yeah, I had one, but I like my Gibson. I'm like, oh, I have a Gibson too. It's good. <laughs> 
<laughs> and it was just, I just didn't want to hear it. And then, oh, you know what happens? You get a little older, you get a little more mature, and you figure out, yeah, who cares what everybody thinks? And then what's funny is, by the time I figured out I didn't care what they thought, I ended up liking the Gibson. So, there you go. Uh, yeah, you know, Dalton says, dude, my favorite guitar I own by far costs one-tenth of my most expensive guitars. Yeah, of course. I, I can actually tell you, talk about this, uh, Dalton. Here's a here's an interesting thing. I not only have done this, I have so many friends that have done this, so I know you're out there. I know a lot of you, there's 650 of you watching. I'm sure there's at least 100 of you that are going to relate right now. I have sold amazing cheap guitars that I loved because it pissed me off that I liked them more than my expensive guitars. And even though logic dictates, hey, man, I should keep the cheap one I love, uh, it, no. <laughs> you know, one of the reasons, I'll, I, funny, if you, if I'll, you know, we talked earlier today about the telly, the, you know, the, the viewer who's like, hey, I don't like my telly, uh, tellies, I keep hearing of them. I have kind of the conclusion for Schecter guitars, the reason I don't currently own one is, that's what happens to me. I like them so much when I get them, but then deep down I think, this thing was $349 and I like it as much as my PRS Custom 24. And then I go, hmm, I want to get rid of it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's it's kind of funny. It's dumb. It's dumb. I'm not, like I said, I'm not smart. I just think I'm getting smarter as I go. So maybe in another year or two, I'll be at that place where I'll be like, ah, I got rid of everything. It's all Schecter's. I'll probably get there. Some of you guys have done that. I've seen some of you guys, uh, of viewers do really cool stuff. You guys got rid of like your PRS and your, and your, uh, you know, your, your sir and all this stuff. And you're like, I got eight Harley Bentons now and I'm totally happy. And I'm like, man, I'm jealous. How crazy is that? You get jealous of that person. Cause you're like, yes, why don't, why don't I do that? Cause you, cause you know, deep down, if you just buy five or six different Harley Bentons and throw some good pickups or do a couple of upgrades to them, you're fine you're fine. But again, part of this is the collecting aspect. It's fun. It's fun to chase things down. Speaking of chasing things down, I got my 1987 or 89 BC Rich Gunslinger ST, whatever. It's still not here, <laughs> but good news. Uh, last Monday, so this week, it was transferred from Canadian Postal Service to the U.S. Postal Service uh, somewhere around Chicago. So I think it's going to be here in the next week. It's currently, I think we're on day 27 of the shipping of that guitar. So when I get it, I'll share it with you guys. Uh, Fret Level Midnight says, ever, ever see Bill Edwards Floyd upgrade nut conversion kit? Uh, phase 95 blinks even when... Oh, these are two questions? These are two questions. I get it. I get it. Because I'm reading it as one thing. Uh, so have I ever seen the uh, Bill Edwards Floyd Rose Upgrade Nut Conversion Kit? Uh, it seems very familiar. I need to I need to Google it. Because I I just watched a... I don't know. I don't know if that was the name. That's what I'm... That's what I... I don't want to confuse it. Because I might have. Because I just watched a Floyd Rose Nut Upgrade Kit video or something okay and no i haven't seen this it's some kind of lever system so the answer to your question is no and i can't share it with you guys but it's looks like it's a some kind of lever system 
I've seen. I used to have a lever system back in the '90s on a on a uh, you know a, 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 for a bat, lack of a better term a fake Floyd Rose. So no, I haven't tried that. And the next question he has is it says it has a phase 95 that blinks even when not plugged in. Um, says worth unplugging from board each time to save the LED life. Uh, well, an LED should last a long, long time, but I would unplug it. I don't know necessarily if it's going to, you know, if leaving it plugged in is going to kill the LED. It's going to take a long time for the LED to go out, but I would still kill it. So I would t- unplug it. Better safe than sorry. <laughs> okay. What else? Hold on. Hold on. I got to get back over to my first screen. Okay. We have, otherwise I'm going to miss out on, st- uh, so that uh, we have. VJ, I'm going to say VJ. VJ, uh, VJ says, I have a 1985 made in Japan Ibanez XV500. It has a weird Ibanez locking trimmel system. Can I get parts anywhere for that? I have no idea. I know when people bring me in stuff like that, I always like dread it. <laughs> right? Um, the thing I can tell you what I do, what I've learned is, is this. As I'm a nerd of guitar stuff, there are super nerds in each category. So there's that's what happens to me. Sometimes some guy who's a super nerd for boss pedals or super nerd of pickups or super nerd in one category like Dean or Ibanez or whatever, they're like, Phil, you don't understand. And I don't because I focus on so many different things. I only have, you know, you can only have be versed in so many things of a general subject line. Um, so what I'm trying to tell you is, is I would go on to the Ibanez forums and ask the Ibanez forums. That's where I go. I'm going to tell you exactly what I do. When I have a customer with a part like that or a guitar like that, they bring me some kind of weird uh, Ibanez that, you know, are weird Kramer. Um, I usually go on those forums and ask. And believe it or not, I can't say I have luck more than 50% of the time. 50% of the time I have luck. I find the part I'm looking for or the workaround. So that sometimes it helps. Now I'm not vis- physically looking at it right now, so it could be something that if I saw it, I could be like, "Oh no, this is all you got to do to fix that, or get this part, or this is the part now that fits on it." But without looking at it and knowing exactly what part you're having problem with, I would suggest going to a forum uh, like that. Um, Chuck M Music says, "Hey Phil, happy Friday! Happy Friday!" Says, uh, "Do I need to replace the nut to convert an acoustic to Nashville tuning?" Uh, is there anything else I need to uh, be mindful of? So Nashville tuning, if you guys don't know what that is, is if you think about a 12-string guitar, uh, it is uh, the six strings now on your guitar are going to be the six high strings of the 12-string guitar. So uh, my understanding, general, of course, understanding of the story is something to the effect that in Nashville, these uh, players, were what they were doing is they were taking two acoustics and they were doing one tuned, you know, like an octave higher, like an acoustic, or 12 string and then with different strings and then you know so basically it's just the six high strings off a 12 string and the other six string was the normal strings and then if you strut you play in sync with each other it's going to sound like a 12 string so uh my guess is yes because you're the reason i say yes you might have to cut the nut is because where i would be concerned is the three low strings are going to be so much smaller than your normal low E string, uh, your A string and your D string uh those wound strings so that's where i would say maybe you could maybe look at doing that. Um, but what I don't know is, okay, so here's here's what I'm gonna tell you, a couple things, okay, Chuck? You didn't tell me what kind of guitar and how valuable it is or not valuable. So let me give you some suggestions that might help you. First suggestion, if it's a nice guitar, I would definitely then take the nut off, put a new nut, keep the original nut so you can put it back, 
do that nice. But if it's some kind of like, let's say you got a hundred dollar acoustic and you just want to do this for fun as a lark, you have a couple choices. You can cut a new nut or you can use the baking soda super glue trick and fill in the old nut slots and then carve them out again real easy. Uh, and I have a video on that and so does Stu Mac and so does a ton of people. Everybody's done it. It's like the oldest trick in the book uh, for repair people. It's basically you just mix baking soda and super glue and um, you basically it hardens like a rock and you fill in those uh, slots and then you cut the new ones out. So there you go. So that, uh, let me know if that if that works for you. Um, and that's a great way to do it. And then, you know, and then when you go want to go back to the old way, you can use a file to file out all that uh, gunk, the stuff that you put in there. OK, and then we have uh, Eddie says better safe than sorry. Yes. Okay. Miguel says, is there a cheaper option than an Evertune bridge? Hmm. That's an interesting question because the Evertune is a very involved system that does. Uh, so I don't know of one. There's probably something out there. To me, I mean, you know, cheaper system, I, I, cheaper option. I'm thinking like, you know, that you can install on a guitar. No, not really. Uh, you know, technically, I mean, like digital guitars that tune themselves, you know, like the uh, Variax and stuff, that's kind of like an Evertune. It does everything the Evertune can do because it'll stay in tune no matter what because it's digital. So, but no, there isn't really a cheaper version of the Evertune. I still have not reviewed an Evertune guitar on the channel and uh, eh, just don't know. I'll, I'd love to do one. I'd love to go through one and, and talk about them and do something. It'll eventually happen. I know it. Someday. Someday it'll happen. Uh, Tony. Hey, what's up, Tony? Tony says, Phil, I picked up a Yamaha Pacifica from a neighbor who was moving. It's 10 years old version. 012 HSS, Indonesian-made guitar. Plays so nice. Uh, how can that be? So he's, that's the question. He said, I paid $30. It's like new. Ha have I sinned? Forgive me, Father Phil. Uh, how can that be? Well, that's the thing about this is we already know. They can make a great guitar anywhere. And for any price, that's that's the that's the argument you can't win. Let's talk about the argument you can't win. I can't win an argument when somebody goes, "I got a three hundred dollar guitar and it's as good as a three thousand dollar guitar," and I'm like, "Yeah." <laughs> In fact, you know, I, I go back to this all the time. Uh, somebody asked me, "Oh, you know what it was?" I won't say because it's a friend, but it's another YouTube channel. He was having an issue, and he says, "Hey, Phil, uh, I, how do you how do you explain to a viewer?" why a guitar is $5,000. <laughs> and I said, it's $5,000 because you're the only dude with it. That's why it's $5,000. Now, I don't want to take away from the hard work of these ma these luthiers out there making instruments. And, you know, that's not where I'm going with this, okay? I'm not saying that they, by selecting the wood and their hours of work and stuff, um, we're not arguing what it costs to make the guitar and how that cost equates to a price you have to pay. What we're talking about is how does someone value that? And although I could honestly say, like, I have a Nags. Oh, it's a perfect example. I have a Nags behind me. Okay, this Nags right there. That Nags is crazy off the charts, expensive. I think, I don't know what that, I bought it used, but knew they're nuts. <laughs> used it was nuts, but knew they're nuts, right price. Now, they're great guitars, don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not shaming the guitar, I'm just saying, it's a great guitar, but it, it comes with a price that tells you you're going to, you know, it's, it's expensive. So my point is, is that, uh, 
you know, when you say, oh, I found this guitar and it's amazing. How could that be? It was like 30 bucks or 130 bucks. And it's fantastic. I'm like, well, I, I think that's easy. I think uh, I, you know, I told you I have a Squire Bullet still that I, I paid $79 for. I love that guitar. I still love it. I still play it. It's just great. I, you know, it's, it's actually downstairs. It's my go-to go play downstairs guitar. So, but I think expensive guitars, sure. They're refined. They're a little nicer, right? There's things about them that I can't teach the average player to say, okay, this is the nuance of what makes this a slightly better instrument. Sometimes an expensive guitar is just as easy as something as an appreciation. So what I mean by that is if you've ever worked on a guitar and a lot of you guys now have worked on guitars and you guys can understand uh, when you see something done right, you know how hard that is because you've done it and it didn't come out looking like that. So you know there's a skill set, right? So what I say is some people can look at the admiration of a beautifully made guitar the way, same way some people look at the admiration of a player who makes a beautiful song. In other words, you know, you can find a guitar player that can play as good as another guitar player, but sometimes the music that guitar player wrote is magical. Guitars sometimes are like that too. So is reason I say it that way is as easily as a cheap guitar can be great, because it can, expensive guitars are more so not about them being so much better than cheap guitars as being more unique or just those little differences that you know are just difficult to get right. But some of those di those things that are different don't matter. In my opinion, I should always say in my opinion because that'll probably help. <laughs> okay. Um, hold on a second. Let me refresh this. It gives me a time to take a drink. And okay, and that's officially the last super chat. So if don't super chat because if you do, I'm not going to read it this week. It'll be next week. And let's find it a couple questions real quick from the non super chats because I feel like it was more heavy on the super chats today towards the end. Um, and remember, if you have a question or cop topic, go question mark first. That helps me a little bit. Uh, skeptic, this is funny because the name skeptic. Skeptic says there are brands that just overprice their products. Technically, skeptic, again, not saying you're wrong per se. I am saying that technically, if a brand overprices a product, they go out of business. That that's that is by definition usually how that works. If a brand overvalues the price of its product too much, it goes out of business because no one buys it. The reality is, is really, it's it's part of the capitalistic part that no one really loves but understands, it, which is, hey, man, everything's worth what somebody's going to pay for it. And that's just how it goes. It's why, it's think about this. Think about it at the, at the purest, in my mind, the purest example of that is you'll pay $70 to go see a rock show or a concert and you can't get tickets because they sold out and now you're going to pay somebody $140 for the scalp tickets. Um, I don't, I've never bought scalp tickets and I can tell you this, I can't, I, I could say, oh, I don't understand it. But the reality is I know people do it because they're scalpers. I mean, I can't imagine people just buying tickets and walking around and not selling them. You know what I mean? I, they they got to be doing this for years because they're selling them. So that's my point. It's a supply and demand thing. So it's not always right. It just is what it is. I, you know, you get the idea. Um, but the better way to think of that than the guitars being overpriced, some guitars, and this is the way I like to think of it. So maybe it's an optimistic look at it, but sometimes it's what gets me excited about 
you know, musical instruments, guitars, pedals, amps. Yes, are some guitars just exaggeratedly priced? And pedals exaggerated priced. And again, I'm saying exaggerated, not you know, not uh, overpriced because overpriced wouldn't work. They're exaggerated. In other words, they're pushed to the limit of what they know someone will pay for it and somebody out there will pay for it apparently. But that makes me appreciate all the people who make products at the value price, the people who make the real deal, the thing that like makes a lot of sense. You buy that guitar and you go, wow, I can't believe that. Um, you know what I mean? So that's interesting. All right. Um... Yeah, Michael's agreeing with me. I'm just reaffirming. He says, goods are priced at what people are willing to pay for them. That's basically it. You know what I mean? Um, you know, because it, it happens both ways. Think about this. I've had to do this now so many times uh, where I've worked with companies um, and a company will go, hey, they'll price a product. At, I don't know. Let's just keep the analogy easy. hundred bucks. And they'll say, what do you think? And I go, okay. And they do it. And they go, yeah, we sold out in a minute. And I go, you got to raise your price. And they're like, no, we don't want to raise the price. That's not fair to the consumer. And I go, no, 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 you don't understand. You don't control that. What's going to happen? And this is what happened every time. They put it at 100 bucks. They sell out. Well, then the next group of people, because people sold out because people want it. The next group of people go, okay, I want one. I'll order one. And they go, oh, it takes five months. And then they go, okay, I don't want to wait. And then the people who bought them for 100 bucks start selling for 200 bucks on Reverb and eBay. So you're not helping the consumer because the consumer is going to have to pay the exaggerated price anyways. So you got to find the sweet spot where it, you know, it levels that out. Sometimes, not all the time, sometimes. Okay. And we'll do one more. What else do you guys want to talk about? Last thing, we'll end of the day, try to find something fun and Huh. You know what, Greg? This is a great question. It says, what's the best way to keep a Fender Strat with a tremolo in tune? So in the, the easiest, fastest way to make sure your Strat stays in tune is three things. And I, and, and I would do these things in order. Okay. So the first thing is, is make sure the nut is not binding or cutting or damaging, not damaging, binding or cutting or uh, obstructing the string. Okay. And, uh, that's something that's easy to do. Uh, I, I, here's how you do it. You essentially, uh, basically, I think I did a demonstration of this. You, you, um, you, uh, push the whammy bar down the tremolo arm all the way down, let the strings get loose and then release the string, the tremolo back up slowly and listen at the nut. And if you hear any tink sound, I call it the tink sound or the tink test, or you hear any pings or little clicks, sometimes it's just a light click. That's the string binding in the nut and doing something that you don't like. So that's the first thing I would make sure is correct. And you can fix that by using uh, some fret files. You can do that by some, uh, some, uh, 400 grit sandpaper. Uh, you can do it with, uh, um, a, uh, uh, by lubricating the nut with a pencil lead or a lubricant. Uh, there's all kinds of stuff you can do that. So that's the first thing I would do. And then, uh, then I would then make sure the bridge, if your strat is having a trouble and you're new to strats, I would go ahead and just make sure the bridge is against the body. So don't let the bridge float. The floating part of the bridge is what's going to be a nightmare. It's actually a, a floating bridge on a strat should stay in tune. No problem. That's not what I'm saying. But if you're new, it's a little tricky to figure out where that sweet spot is and how that's set up. So just go ahead and make sure the bridge is the back against the body. It's a pretty easy thing to figure out how to do too as well. And then at that point, if that, if those two things are right, in other words, your tremolo is not really moving that much except for going forward and your nut is cut correctly. At that point, I would inspect the tuning keys 
And the best way to inspect the tuning keys for the problem is this. Go ahead and play the guitar. When the guitar goes out of tune with the tremolo, take notice to what strings went out of tune. So if it, let's say it was your uh, D and G string or your G and B string, which is probably more likely G and B are going to be the problem. G and B go out of tune and the other ones stay in tune. Um, well, usually that means there could be binding in the nut, but we're assuming you've, you've cleared that and you fixed it. If the G and B strings are out of tune, here's the a trick you can do. You can take the tuning keys from those two strings, swap them with other tuning keys. Now, if they're staggered, you're going to have to do your best to make sure that they stay in line, but, but change the tuning keys to different spots, in other words, and see if the problem is fixed or if it follows the, the now those two, two issues, tuning keys go to the, the problem moves with them. And that's kind of a couple of easy things you can do to diagnose that and kind of help do that. But that's the best way to do it. All right. On that note, I think we'll call it. That was a good show. I appreciate you guys so much for having great questions. I saw that even though I said don't do any super chats, there was a couple super chats. Uh, let me double check. I'll be fast. We'll keep it easy. So um, just to keep it fine. So Aaron Short Music said, I just bought a JP15 and it is and it has string ping. Oh, yeah, yeah. So in that case, what you're going to have to do is, like I said, you're going to have to make sure that there's no obstructions in the in the nut material. Now, uh, you know what I mean? Make sure it's not, there's no uh, tabs or any binding in it. Make sure it's smooth. You can visually check that. Make sure that there's actually no uh, tooling marks in the nut slots. Um, use some lubrication. That helps a lot with making sure that the, reducing the friction. The friction is the problem with the string. So... That's what I would do with that. And if not, then just have the nut cut correctly and you, either you can do that or you can take it and have that done. It's usually w worth its weight in gold is what I'm going to say. Um, sometimes the important thing to do is when you have a setup done, just make sure that the tech or the luthier that's doing the setup, that's something that they include in the setup, which is making sure the nut is properly cut. So it's a weird thing. I've always thought it was weird when they do setups and then they, you're like, yeah, it's going out too. And they're like, oh, you need your nut cut. And they're like, how much is that? And they go, well, it's different charge. And I'm like, well, then what's the good is the setup? It's like, it's like changing my tires and, and then not aligning them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Not doing alignment or vice versa. You get the idea. All right. So the convert says, Hey, Phil, uh, overspent COVID maniac. I play classic hard rock. Should I keep the SC 200 AR 220H? So that's the uh, Marshall SC 20H head or, or the EVH. So he wants to keep something. Should I keep the SC 220H? or the EVH EL34 50 watt head. I like different things about both. Thanks. Hmm. Um, I don't know. That's a tricky question. Uh, I obviously had both those amps. I still have my, I have the six, the six L six EVH right there. I don't have the EL34. Um, me, if I was going to pick one EL34 EVH and, and here's why, because the main appeal of the Marshall is that it's a Marshall. But overall, I think the EVH is a superior amp. The clean channel on that takes pedals. So in other words, you could probably get a cool Marshall pedal and put it through there. You could get an EVH pedal, the, the 5150 MXR, and put it through your Marshall, but that Marshall doesn't take pedals the best way. So I don't know. Me personally, I go EVH, and I'm not a metal guy. I mean, I like metal as much as anyone else, but I'm not a metal guy, so it's not because it's a metal amp. I think it's because it's a versatile amp. It's a more versatile amp. And uh, in the long term, I think it's going to be an amp people still respect. In 20 years, I think people are going to respect the, the EVH brand of amps. I think 
they'll look back as being cool amps, especially for the prices, you know what I mean? Uh, and the Marshall 20 watt series was cool. And I think it's also cool, but I don't think it's gonna, anybody's gonna look back and go, man, those are sought after. So who knows, could be totally wrong, just an opinion. And then last is Dan Brown. Dan says, I'm looking for a super smooth drive pedal. Not a fan of hiss, sizzle, distortion. Any recommendations? Hmm. Yeah, I would go with something really light, uh, overdrive. Uh, the Soul Food, Soul Food by um, Electroharmonics Harmonics is good. Uh, those kind of Klon style, uh, dare say, transparent overdrives seem to be what you're looking for. Uh, the Timmy is a good pedal. The I like the Zen Drive and the Zen Drive clones. I'm looking at my pedal board. The the JTM by Love Pedal is really good. <laughs> oh, the Prince of Tone. I'm just looking. At, I'm literally cheating. I'm just looking at my pedal board right there. <laughs> so um, those are all. Again, stick with the light drives. You know, to be honest with you, when I think of a smooth drive pedal with low gain, it, to me, a Tube Screamer does that. I can really just dial it in light. Again, it's not to push the amp even. Sometimes they're great for that. I just Keep the gain knob really low sometimes, you know, and find the sweet spot on the tone control on those pedals and you can really get a warm sound. I agree. I'm not a big into the fizz kind of sound, uh, you know, so yeah, I, I, I like anything that's light overdrive. The lighter, the better. Uh, so, all right. Okay. That is, uh, that's the episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you have, oh, the Tumnus. Junk Food Zombie says the Tumnus. Again, any kind of clon clone. Uh, is great. I mean, there's great suggestions. A lot of these guys, like uh, the Plumes, a lot of people, you know, the MXR Timmy, again, anything like that, it's great. The Archer, again, another Klon Centaur, Klon clone. So, but uh, on that note, I will let you go. Uh, and Tim, I'm sorry, but no more Super Chats today, but I will answer it the first question on next week's episode. And as always, I want to thank you guys so much for your time. I don't even know how to stop this <laughs> this live show because it's been a while since it's been OBS. There it is. All right, guys. Thank you so much. I will see you guys next week. Enjoy. Have a great weekend. And know your gear.